This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk. You're all very welcome today to the fourth of this series of seminars on assessment today. It's lovely to see such a very big audience here. And we would like to extend a special welcome to Clara Kenyon from OCR. Um, Clara's, the title of Clara's talk today is A Momentous Year, What is Happening to the Assessment of Students in England in 2009? And obviously that title is what's got you all here, which I can understand. In her presentation, Clara is going to provide an overview of the development and implementation of some recent key changes in national assessment. Clara chose this title, I would think, nine months to a year ago, and at that time, I guess, she probably didn't realise just what a momentous year, in fact, it was going to be. So I suspect that she's had to update her information quite a lot in the meantime. So um, I'm sure you'll agree that this talk is a very timely one and that we will all benefit from an overview of these changes. So I'm very happy now to hand you over to Clara. Good afternoon and welcome, and welcome to this uh, Cambridge Assessment meeting. Um, And thank you for the introduction. So, today we're going to look at um, how and why uh, the assessment landscape is changing in 2009. Um, And I I want to introduce some context for this. And to take you through the different stages that this talk will um, consist of, the first thing I want to do is to give you a context for the changes. If we just go straight into the changes, I think they will lose some of their impact. And it is critical that there is an awareness of, of political imperatives and educational imperatives that have brought some of the changes is a, a, about. I then want to look at the current impact in terms of the qualifications that you'll all be familiar with, GCSEs and A-levels, so the current qualifications, before taking you through the new qualifications that have um, been developed. And then just to give you a little snapshot into the future and what that future framework um, is, is, is to look like. Okay, well, I want to go back in time, um, and I want to go to this man, uh, Tony Blair at the Labour Party conference in October 1996. And just to remind you of what he said, he said, if you ask, you ask me for my three main priorities for government, and I tell you, education, education, and education. And what I'm hoping to demonstrate to you this afternoon is that actually, from where we are now, he probably should have said, change, change, and even more change within the context of education. So we're starting at at the start of the, the new government, and... I want to take you back in time. You can see there, 2004, that's a long time ago. And I obviously can't go through every piece of of legislation that has been put on the statute books, but I do want to highlight some of the key 
instruments, I think, that, that have brought about the changes as we perceive them. And the first one is the Tomlinson Report in 2004. Uh, for those of you that remember, we'd had Curriculum 2000 in, in, in the year 2000 when all the A-levels had changed. And in 2002, there was a major inquiry into the standards of A-levels and whether A-levels were uh, changing or maintaining their standards and how they were being awarded. And it was Tomlinson who was asked to lead the working group on behalf of the government to really have a long, hard look at the education system as it was currently operating and to report back to the government. And what he proposed was he proposed uh, an overarching diploma for 14 to 19-year-olds that would actually replace GCSEs and A-levels. And GCSEs and A-levels would be component parts of that diploma. But what would take precedent in terms of school achievement would be the diploma. He was very keen to raise the status of, of vocational qualifications. So the overarching um, diploma would give recognition, equal recognition to vocational qualifications. He was keen to reduce the burden of assessment. At that stage, A-levels consisted of six units. That was six times for every A-level a student walked into that examination room to undertake assessment. And he was very keen that we addressed uh, the need for basic literacy and numeracy skills within, within the population. So those were the, the fundamentals. Now, his, his report, his report was very popular, very, very popular. It gained a lot of um, popularity amongst teachers and in the educational community. So it was seen to be um, quite a favourable uh, set of initiatives. Uh, the government responded, and they responded with the 14 to 19 Education and Skills White Paper in 2005. I think largely rejecting Tomlinson's proposals. Um, I think in some way they would acknowledge that they had gone some way to meeting uh, his requirements, but not completely. So they proposed, the white paper proposed, that there should be a strengthening of the existing qualifications. Interestingly, at one point there was, an, there was talk of an overarching diploma, but actually that soon, that soon disappeared and it, it, was, it was addressed in a very different way. So they proposed to strengthen the GCSEs and the A-levels, to introduce... Uh, what's called stretch and challenge, so more demanding um, aspects, and to try and address the criticism that A-levels did not allow sufficient differentiation of, uh, for pupils with really high abilities. There was something called the introduction of the A-star. We'll come to all of these in, in a little bit more detail in, in a while. Um, and that they would reduce the, the burden of assessment. They also said that they wanted to introduce new 
specialised diplomas. Now, unfortunately, throughout this talk, you'll hear the same terminology, but sometimes it's, it's often meant in a slightly different context. This is not the Tomlinson diploma. These are specialised diplomas. Um, at the time that they were conceived, they were conceived to be delivered in a vocational context. So hospitality and catering, engineering, manufacturing. Um, although they've moved now to being more about uh, applied learning. They proposed a revision to the secondary curriculum, which was felt to be too um, straight-jacketing for, for uh, teachers to deliver and didn't allow for um, interactions between subjects, and to address the issue of basic skills, and in particular about people's employability, they proposed to introduce functional skills in English, maths and, and ICT, alongside um, what's called, for those people who are doing their quiz, personal learning and thinking skills, PULTS, which were those concepts um, that had been identified that actually these were the essential ingredients that you needed to be employable and to get on in the working environment. So teamwork, independent inquiry, uh, self-management, reflective learning, effective participation and creative thinking. And what it was envisaged is that these, these concepts would be integrated into the qualifications, not necessarily uh, assessed independently. We then move on to what was classified as the Leach Review of Skills in 2007. Now, bearing in mind, all this is just context setting. We've had Tomlinson, we've had a government's response to Tomlinson, and we now look to address the wider um, skills gap, as it was uh, deemed. Not least of which, because in international terms, England was lagging behind, certainly, some of our European partners. Um, and what, we, what this proposed to do was to try and address that skills gap. So, for example, um, we had at that time 23% um, gap uh, of adults had low basic skills. So 23% of all our population compared with 17% in France and only 12% in Germany. And Leach's, Leach's remit was to... to to give advice to government about how we were going to address that and how we were going to correct it. And what he said was, actually, we need to move away from being uh, a supply-side uh, approach to skills, which meant further education colleges, training providers supplied the skills that they thought were necessary, to a demand-led approach to skills. And he put at the heart of it the involvement of employers being able to say and to stipulate what skills were needed, what level of skills, what type of qualifications, and said, actually, we should turn this around, not put the learner at the, at the centre, but put the employment requirements. Um, and to give voice to employers 
and the employers' needs, there were sector skills councils that represented each, uh, each um, educational area or um, employment area. And it was up to them to work with employers to say, this is the type of providing, uh, training that we're going to provide. These are the qualifications that they will lead to. And they set up learner accounts, which is about an entitlement to people in the workplace to engage in training and qualifications. Um, the reality of Leach um, was that you saw some employers actually becoming awarding organisations. McDonald's became one, Flybee became one, uh, and Network Rail. But what they were really doing was gaining recognition for the, for the training that they were providing for their employees. And they wanted that within this, if you like, leech-type framework that put employers at the, at the centre. So that was one of the, the more, um, if you like, direct outcomes. Uh, and as I say, around the sector, the sector qualification strategies, very much putting employers at the heart. I think it's fair to say that the recession has had a huge impact in this area because employers have perhaps felt less able to engage in this dialogue um, whilst, whilst uh, they're facing the hard times that they are. So some of what Leach um, has proposed, I think, has a little bit um, called into, been called into question. Ed Balls, who is the uh, current minister... Um, actually went on to expand on the 14 to 19 white paper with promoting achievement, valuing success and, uh, if you like, an overarching strategy uh, for 14 19 quali uh, qualifications. Uh, and what he proposed was that all pupils would choose one of four pathways as routes through their education. And that would be either, as a pupil in school, you would either do your GCSEs and your A-levels, that's one route through, or you would do one of those new specialised diplomas that we made reference to right in the, in the white paper, or you would do an apprenticeship, or you would be part of the foundation learning tier. That is um, entry and, and level one um, a, a achievement. And you might think, well, that's, it's a bit restrictive. Only four pathways. What about all those qualifications that we've already got out there? We've got lots. We've got hundreds of awarding bodies. What about City and Gills Progression Awards and BTEC Nationals and OCR Nationals and MVQs and all the rest of it? How on earth are we going to fit all of that into these, into these routes? But that was a very real proposal. And actually, there was a, a, there, is, well, there still is a proposal to actually absorb, um, if you like, existing qualifications within those uh, four routes. He also um, proposed to expand those specialised diplomas and to expand them into quite diverse areas, science, languages and humanities. 
Um, if you like, traditional uh, academic uh, areas with a very much a view that it, actually if you had specialised diplomas in these areas, you would automatically get parity of esteem between those qualifications. Um, he introduced the extended diploma. Now, bearing in mind that all this is happening you know, in quite a short period of time. So we've got diplomas, we've now got... We, uh, it's called a supersized diploma. It's bigger. <laughs> if you want to know what the difference is, it's bigger. It's got, it's got a, a broader core uh, at the centre, roughly equivalent to four and a half A-levels. So that's, that's a, a big qualification. He proposed that there, is a, that there be a new regulator in, in terms of off-qual uh, to replace the qualification and curriculum authority which had really had oversight not just for regulation but also for, for curriculum. And he proposed that we implement the qualification and credit framework, which was um, an overarching system to give recognition to every qualification, to be able to almost like put them on a set of scales and be able to balance them and give recognition and uh, transferability um, in between qualifications. So, in essence, it was a huge set of measures, a, a really big set of measures that actually were very far-reaching in terms of their impact, as you will um, go on to see. <coughs> and there is a bill that is currently going through its readings, um, which is very much about the structural changes that, are, that, that, that have been proposed. So it's actually coming into effect now. It's having its reading, it's going through. And it's actually setting up off-qual. And at the moment, if you read your papers, read the educational press, you'll see that there's lots and lots of debate over Clause 138. Because Clause 138 uh, specifies what the minister can and cannot do with regard to education. So if the minister thinks that all children should study Shakespeare, can the minister give that out as a pronouncement? Um, there were some powers, I think there were some clauses there actually to limit what the minister could do, and those have actually been overturned that the minister can specify if everyone is going to study Shakespeare and how much Shakespeare and how Shakespeare will be assessed as well. Um, so there's quite a lot of controversy around the setting up of Ofqual and the powers that that has. The actual qualification and curriculum design um, will go to a, an organisation called the Qualification and Curriculum Development um, Agency. There are plans to replace the Learning and Skills Councils, which has impacts on funding, which we'll come to. And there's an entitlement for youngsters to be able to access apprenticeships through the National Apprenticeship um, uh, survey, I think it is, right, so, service, sorry, the National Apprenticeship Service, which is to make apprenticeships available across 80 different sectors, 180 different apprenticeships, and believed, it is believed, that they will appeal to one in five of youngsters today. So 
an enormous entitlement. Um, you might ask um, what all of these were there to achieve. The educational targets that were specified are very, very laudable. I don't think any of us sitting here would have any problems with actually looking at those targets and thinking, yes, they're really good, right? Increasing participation at the age of 17 from 75 to, to 90%. Bearing in mind, these are 10-year targets, right? So from two, to 2005 to 2015. Nobody would have a problem with ensuring that every young person has the basic skills in English and maths. Isn't that a right entitlement or better vocational routes or to be able to stretch young people or to re-engage the disaffected? So wherever you come from, the, the educational targets actually were, were pretty, do you know what I mean, if you like, hardwired. They, they, they're very laudable. People can have resonance with them. But I think you might want to ask, well, actually, that was a lot of initiatives, you know, even in that sort of um, short period of time. And you might well say, well, why? Why so much change and why so many initiatives and why such fundamental changes um, over that period? So that, if you like, sets the context. Lots of reform, uh, lots of educational initiatives, uh, lots of discussion about the purpose of qualifications, what they're there to do, and lots of changes. I'd like to move on now to take you through the impact on the qualifications that you will probably be most familiar with and the ones that, we are, offer, that are offered currently, and to look at how those changes um, have impacted. The hard work for us two years ago, is now in the schools. And that, I think, is why it's quite a momentous year, because whilst we might have thought it's busy as an awarding body, the impact is hitting the schools and starting now. We talked about A-levels. Cast your mind back. Tomlinson, what did he say? He said, there's too much assessment. He said, there's too much assessment and they don't differentiate enough for those very able students because they, what is beyond an A, if you like. So all the A-levels have been rewritten, and they've all been reduced from six units to four units. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you just get rid of a third of the assessment. Um, obviously, you've still got to assess all the assessment objectives, it means you have to redo all the assessment and re-look at it, repackage it, so that actually most of the students are experiencing four examinations, uh, uh, testing opportunities, as opposed to six. There is the introduction of A-star. I know you have A-star at GCSE. You're now going to have it at A-level. The reason being... The most able students weren't uh, sufficiently, didn't gain sufficient differentiation. So it was proposed that we introduce uh, an A star for those students who were, who are an over, overall they are an A, and at, in the A2 units they get over 90% on the UMS scores, and they will then get an A star. Basically, to signify to universities 
that these are exceptional, exceptional candidates. We have introduced a, a, a slightly different style of question to be able to allow uh, students to de really demonstrate what they can do, what they know and understand, by introducing stretch and challenge. Questions that are, that are more open-ended uh, and perhaps allow students to really demonstrate what they know and can understand. Synoptic assessment at, at, uh, in the A2 part of the qualification, so an understanding of what has contributed to the overall course, not just the unit. And assessment of written communications as a component. Now, in order to be able to assess um, the impact of this, we've got two unsuspecting teachers, right, sitting in their staff room, currently relaxing, reading their papers. Because what we want to do is to be able to capture, as I say, the impact on those th th the teachers and ultimately on the learners. So we've had a whole new body of um, A-levels developed alongside, which we haven't done, but the government has done, a secondary curriculum. Do you remember there was some criticism that the curriculum was too restrictive and didn't allow uh, teachers greater flexibility. So at the same time as we were revising the A-levels, um, QCA were revising the secondary curriculum. So what we're going to do is we move through. We're going to just capture um, the impact of this. So here we are. Here's our two suspecting, unsuspecting teachers at this point. What are they doing at this point in time? The first thing that they're coping with is a revised curriculum, which started in September 2008. They are currently delivering the first part of the A-level, the AS, and that's going to be assessed this summer. And they're getting ready to deliver the new A2 qualifications starting in September, and they'll have all the A-star and all that stretch and challenge and all of those components. So here are two teachers, and, and, and this is the first, if you like, um, burden upon them. Okay, moving on. GCSEs. They've moved to a unitised framework, uh, generally three and four units, but it does vary slightly. The subject criteria has been revised and modernised, as has the qualification criteria. If you read your papers this morning, there's something about a GCSE in, in being pregnant, I think, or somebody's something, some such thing. Uh, that's probably in response to the revised subject and qualification criteria. 40% uh, was deemed to be external ex assessment. That's by examination. Reduced opportunities for resit, bearing in mind these are units, so if you don't get the grade that you want, you can go back and resit it, but only once now. Um, controlled assessment to replace coursework. I'm going to come back to that one in a, in a moment, because that's quite a fundamental change. And the, the original proposal was that the GCSEs must include functional skills. Okay, go back to the context. 
The criticism was that the youngsters were not going into jobs with the sufficient skills and level of ability in maths and English and ICT. And the government made a commitment in the, in the white paper and said no student will be able to achieve a grade A star to C GCSE without having demonstrated functional skills. Now, when, the function, when we were originally, uh, the, the original brief to a revise GCSEs, they were to include functional skills. That's actually changed, but at the time, um, functional skills were to be there and to be mandatory. Uh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Right, so we've got, you're remembering this, right? You're delivering your new curriculum, you're currently delivering your AS, you're getting planning ready to deliver your A2, you're planning to deliver the majority of the new GCSEs starting this September. The maths, English and ICT are delayed a year because the idea was that we were going to incorporate the functional skills. So they're scheduled for 2010, okay, not too far away. Um, so some planning perhaps needs to take place. And I said that we would come back to getting rid of coursework. Um, and what happened? How did we get rid of coursework? Why? Um, QCA was very concerned about coursework. They did a survey about coursework and its uh, applicability and its usefulness. And whilst coursework itself was found to be extremely useful in the skills in which it engaged youngsters and the independent analysis and learning that they uh, engaged in, it was deemed that actually there was too much opportunity for plagiarism, there was too much opportunity to down, uh, inform download information from the web or to get help and support either from your parents or your peers or wherever, or, for, or from the teachers in putting together that coursework. So QCA really started to have some concerns about the authenticity of coursework and whether it was really achieving um, what, what they wanted to do. So they've come up with controlled assessment. Now, controlled assessment, it represents between... Uh, 25 and 60% of the total assessment. That depends a little bit on the subject area. So um, if you're doing history, I think it's 25%. But if you're doing something like art and design, as you would expect, or applied business, it's 60%. And it's all about setting the task, taking the task, and marking the task, and where that is done and what the component parts are set by the awarding body uh, and is subject to high, medium or low levels of control in each of those three areas. Task setting, task taking and task marking. Okay, so three levels of control in three different areas. So if you've got a, a controlled assessment that is high level of supervision, that's virtually exam conditions. But that might apply to only one of those components. 
So they might have done their independent research, done their traffic survey as part of their geography controlled assessment, but they write it up under exam conditions because then you can authenticate that the work is done by the individual. Or it might be medium supervision or it might be low supervision depending on the nature of the task. This is a huge change and it is a huge change for schools and teachers to actually uh, grasp and undertake. Uh, undertaking a piece of coursework was, re was relatively easy as opposed to this and actually having to plan for the delivery of this uh, and how this fits into, into the curriculum. So controlled assessment is not, I think it's fair to say, is not to be um, underestimated in terms of its impact, even although it, it forms part of the, uh, of the GCSEs and diplomas. And then it wouldn't be complete um, unless I had a brief look um, at the school attainment tests and where we are with them. Uh, key stage one is, is teacher assessment. Key stage two are compulsory tests in maths, science and, uh, and English. And key stage three, which are compulsory tests or were compulsory tests uh, up until last year, uh, were compulsory. And if you've read the Sutherland Inquiry... Um, when the, there was a failure to deliver by um, the, the organisation that were running them, they were actually abandoned at key stage uh, three. And then there's something called the single level tests. And the single level tests are new uh, and they're being piloted only in about 100 schools at the moment. And they are very much formative. They are tests that the teachers can use, they can get the pupils to undertake them, and it will be indicative of the, of the level that the student is likely to achieve at key stage two. They're in reading and writing. Um, so there is a change around that. And for those of you who are reading the papers at the moment, you'll know that the teachers are planning, or, um, planning and proposing to boycott uh, the, the uh, school attainment tests for next year and Ed Balls has been quite uh, vocal in saying that actually if you do this this is illegal um, but he has been more receptive I think it's fair to say to some form of change around the, the overall testing regime uh, but there won't be any changes before uh, 2011 Interestingly, parents actually find these tests quite useful. 70% of parents have said that actually they find the SATS test quite useful as indicative of, of, of school performance. Um, and although I think it's 44% uh, wanted them to stay, 37% think that they should actually be uh, replaced. So there may well be some change there, but certainly not for um, a little while. So, so here we go. Here's our two unsuspecting teachers, and you can see that on the top of there, uh, on the top, they've now got the controlled assessment, because I've pulled that out because it's a separate initiative, and the SATs tests. So they're doing well so far. Okay, how am I doing for time? All of, all of what I've said... 
begs the question, what exactly are our qualifications for? Is it there to give a rounded education? If you come out with your A8 GCSEs, all grade A star to C, does that mean that you have a rounded education? One view. Is it a passport to higher education? Is it about saying, if you've done these qualifications, then you can go on and study at university? Many, many would say that. Uh, and have an expectation that that's what the qualification delivers. Is it a profile for employers? You'll see all the way through this, I've been saying, well, actually, we've put functional skills in there and more literacy and numeracy because that's what the employers are asking for, or personal link, uh, learning and thinking skills because that's what employers want. Or is it an indicator of school performance? Or, or, or teacher performance. And actually, when you start to twist the qualification in the way that we've twisted it there, it's not surprising that you then end up with the debate in the press. Well, I think it should be a baccalaureate. Well, I think it should be a pre-U. Well, I think it should be an IGCSE. Because what we're, what we're asking of qualifications is for them to be all things for all people. And perhaps that's... Perhaps that's not always achievable, um, as, as we've seen uh, there. However, we'll get back to our, our burden and, under, and our impact and now quickly look at new qualifications. I want you to cast your mind back. Um, we talked about offering some diplomas, didn't we? In the white paper, we went back, we said they rejected the Tomlinson diploma, but we did go for some new diplomas the diplomas are different in every single aspect that I can sort of describe to you. The first thing is to say that they are not offered by individual schools and colleges. They're offered by consortia. These are schools and colleges that have got together and applied to the government to offer diplomas. They've been through what's called the gateway process. Um, which has given them the right to offer diplomas. There's 148 of them currently. So they're offered in a different way. The idea and the concept is that schools and colleges, by joining together, can bring more specialist resource to applied learning and can therefore offer an enhanced curriculum. There are 17 lines, what are called lines of learning, subjects, 17 subject areas being developed as diplomas between, and they're all phased in, I'll show you the phasing in a minute, between now and 2011. So it's a quite a tight time, time scale. And they're offered at three levels. So take your 17 and multiply it by three. Um, and because at the heart of them, they've got employability and applied learning and uh, the needs of employers, they have been designed uh, very much with the endorsement of the Sector Skills Council. So with employers absolutely at the heart of them driving, do you know what I mean, the, the, the qualification and what's in it. And they are awarded differently. Um, because the diplomas are made up of a number of parts, 
you've got lots of, quali- of awarding bodies that can award the component parts. So they're called cabs. And you've got a few awarding bodies that can award the whole qualification. So they're called dabs. Okay? Uh, there's not as many dabs as there are cabs. Uh, and the idea is I could go along and I could do an AQA, GCSE, two edXL ones, a city and gills, and I could come to OCR and get my diploma. Right? What that actually entails for us is a huge organisation of data transfer, as you can probably appreciate. But you can understand that the nature of this qualification is, is quite different. And the diploma is made up of different components. There is something called the principal learning, if you like, the main subject area in which the, the learning takes place. And that could be, uh, that could be business, that could be sport and leisure, that could be manufacturing. And that's the bit that has got, if you like, that employer input into it and specification as to what, uh, what needs to be within that particular learning. They've got the functional skills in maths, English and ICT to ensure that these youngsters are employable. They have something called the extended project, which is an independent piece of learning. And then everything else comes under what's called additional and specialist. So, for example, if you were doing creative and media as your principal learning, you could do your you do your maths, English and ICT functional skills alongside. You do an extended project in a chosen topic area. And to make up your additional and specialist learning, you could do another GCSE or some components of an MVQ or do not mean uh, different qualifications that actually you felt do not mean actually enhanced or, or another A-level um, that enhanced your diploma and together it makes a diploma those are the phases um, phase one are already there they started uh, teaching them they've already started teaching them last September the next phase uh, this September phase three in 2010 and you'll notice that phase four uh, for delivery 2011. As you leave this room, go and look at the BBC Education website. There's a, there's a, there's a, a news bulletin there that has just come from the ministers that says, we greatly support science, humanities and languages as phase four diplomas and we are pushing ahead with their development with the exception of uh, science at level three. Makes interesting reading, but there is a very firm commitment to continue with those phase four um, diplomas it's a huge I mean this is it's a huge change um, I think it's fair to say and alongside we kept talking about functional skills and what they were there for these essential skills in maths English and, and ICT that are needed for employment the idea of functional skills is that they are embodied and delivered in every single qualification type as we move forward. Um, I've mentioned about the GCSEs, what the government has said, actually, what we will do is we will incentivise the schools to deliver functional skills 
as a separate assessment prior to youngsters probably taking their GCSEs or alongside their GCSEs. They still actually, it's hard to believe this, but they're still actually still in pilot. But it's a big pilot. There's 100,000 students on this pilot and 10 awarding bodies currently delivering functional skills. So it's quite a big pilot. I think it's destined for rollout um, at the, when the time is right. Um, they're available at levels one and two. Um, and they're, as I say, intended to be part of all um, qualifications. And you might say, well, we've talked a lot about um, the need for functional skills. And I've just, I'll just share with you a few statistics. Currently, uh, 45% of students are leaving school without a grade A star to C uh, in maths and English. That's very nearly half of them. That's a bit of a frightening statistic. Um, 45% of employers are unhappy with the skills level of the youngsters that they are employing. In 2003, 75% of adults had numeracy below GCSE level. And 56% had literacy below GCSE level. And the target is to have 95% of adults to have functional skills by 2020. So it is a big skills gap. You know, when we've talked about incorporating it into all of the qualifications, you can see, you can see some of the political drivers just in those, do you know what I mean, just in those figures as to why it's important. Uh, and then there's foundation learning tier. Um, this, is a, this is a wide range of um, provision uh, for those people who operate below the GCSE, right, who operate below um, uh, level two, but really it's, it's about entry and level one. It's about those people who are not in education and employment or who have... Uh, particular special learning needs. It's very much based on personalised learning programme and the idea is to increase the participation and um, engage them more fully um, in the overall proposal. So that's actually another, if you like, a body of learning that is being developed. So you're keeping up with this, right? It'll be a test at the end. So we've got our revised curriculum. We've got our ASs. We've got the A2s we're planning for. We're planning for the new GCSEs and the English maths and ICT that come along a year later and our SATs and our controlled assessments and our foundation learning tier, which is going to be that huge provision for the um, people below level two. And functional skills will be coming along at 2010. And those 17 diplomas at three levels that started last September. Okay, still with me? Okay. Um, it's an enormous burden for schools and, and, and colleges, and uh, I think we just, ha we just need to recognise that. I'm going to take a very quick uh, snapshot into, into the future and what the future should look like, and then hopefully give people the opportunity to, to ask some questions. 
that bill that I can't remember what it's called, uh, Children and Skills and <laughs> whatever, the one that I said had got a, a title that ran off the tongue. But anyway, that, the one that's currently going through its second reading um, sets up and gives credibility to a whole host of agencies. Ofqual, our independent regulator. QCDA, the new agency that will develop our curriculum and give rise, if you like, to some of the new qualifications. For those of you who are still doing your quiz, JAQA, the Joint Advisory Committee for Qualification Approval. Very, very important. That organisation will be advising the Minister on uh, public funding. So that's, uh, that's one that's coming into being. And actually, the Learning and Skills Council which is currently has responsibility uh, for funding. Again, you might have read about them in the press. I understand there's a shortfall of 60 million um, in the sort of sixth form uh, arena at the moment, is to be replaced by the Skills Funding Agency and the Young People's Learning Agency. And you'll see all of these in the, in the press and, and, and in the future in terms of their remit and what, they're, uh, what they are there to do. Uh, <coughs> I've actually borrowed this slide. I haven't made it, I'm going to confess. But interestingly, I have borrowed it from um, uh, a consultancy agency, a very reputable consultancy agency, and this tries to describe our current education system. And I don't know whether you can pick, well, I don't know whether you can see any of it, but I've got one of these whizzy things. There's QCA and Ofqual and QCDA right in the middle there. Uh, Awarding bodies are there and there. And then up the side, we've got all these different advisory bodies, policy makers, regulators, representative bodies. You think you've got off lightly this afternoon now, don't you? Um, information, advice and guidance centres and learning providers. And this was, their, this was their snapshot of what they thought it looked like. So I thought I'd just share that with you. Um, so this is into the future. These are all the agencies. And where are we going? Well, ultimately, every single qualification should sit within the overarching framework of a qualification and credit framework. Now, GCSEs and A-levels will go in there automatically, but every other qualification will also sit within it, and it will be composed of common units. So any other qualification that you think of, a city and gills, an MVQ... Uh, a vocationally related qualification, a qualification offered by a another awarding body, whatever that, you know, whoever that is, will eventually uh, come within the qualification and credit framework. They will need to be endorsed by the sector skills councils. They will be given a level of credit so that there is a transferability um, between qualifications. And as I say, ultimately, um, all qualifications will come within this remit. We've focused on the ones in the schools and colleges, but there's a whole remit of post-19 qualifications in further education that we haven't necessarily done or been focused on this afternoon. But they will all become either 
awards, certificates or diplomas depending on how many credits they are worth. And the credit relates to the size. You'll notice there's another diploma just crept in there. It's not the diploma we've been talking about. Um, <laughs> so the idea is that it, there are three sizes of qualifications and everything. And the, the programme at the bottom, the UK Vocational Qualification Reform Programme, is the programme that is actually steering that. So he's looking at all the MVQs, all the uh, vocationally related qualifications and everything else. And the idea is that eventually we will remanufacture it, if you like, and re-engineer it to go into this qualification credit framework. And I want to end by showing you, again, this is not my slide, um, by showing you how simple and straightforward all of this is and how it all fits together. So, there we are, 14 to 19 reform programme. We've, talk, we've talked about that, haven't we? And we've got 14 to 16, look, look all just slots together seamlessly. Don't you think that's clever? So we've got the qualification and credit framework going all the way around it. We've talked about that. We've got the foundation learning tier here. Yes, that's the uh, entry and level one. We've got the secondary curriculum and the freeing of that. We've got the differences between 14 to 16 and 16 to 19. We've got the 14 to 19 reform programme there, which is the overarching. Apprenticeships, we've done that, right? Diplomas, the new diplomas, all 17 of them. The GCSE, A-levels and extended projects, we've touched on those. And overarching is functional skills in English, maths and ICT. And over here we've got this UK vocational qualification reform programme that will reform every other qualification. Thank you. And are there any questions? <laughs> This is a podcast from Cambridge Assessment. For more downloads, visit cambridgeassessment.org.uk.